about to hear part two to this episode of climate mayhem if you haven't already go listen to part one to get the full story are these some of the grants that come into cities and and some communities to like make homes more environmentally friendly like put a double pane window in and you'll get rebates or things like this that'll be are those epa driven or some of those at the very least absolutely yeah yeah, there's some really cool work out there that um, I, I think a lot of states are taking advantage of as well. And interestingly enough, there is a uh, there is a fun article that dropped just today. So October 20th is when is when we're recording this. And there's a there's a fun I think component of the EPA that along with funding local initiatives and helping enable states and communities and municipalities towards their environmental goals. Another thing that the EPA will do kind of more on the watchdog end of things is really calling people out. And (laughs) the EPA recently called out what they're coining environmental racism in Louisiana, Louisiana's cancer alley. And so to educate our listeners, there is an area in southeastern Louisiana that has a disproportionate cancer risk from industrial air pollution. Yeah, the agency found that children in one predominantly Black elementary school have been exposed to dangerous carcinogenic levels at 11 times what the EPA considers acceptable. So the EPA took to task and wrote a letter to uh, Louisiana's environmental and health agencies to basically analyze the cumulative impacts for residents and just kind of make it known what's been going on. So I, I think that's a very unique component to what the EPA does. It spreads awareness. We've got a lot of data. And I think that making sure that we are amplifying that data in the right way is something that's very cool. And I'm not sure would have happened maybe under the prior administration, but as we kind of lean into this new day and age of diversity, equity, and inclusion, which has been a long time coming. Um, it's great to see that such a, a powerful agency is taking a stand against, you know, what might be considered institutional racism. Interesting. And from a environmental, though, per lens, like it, it was super interesting perspective there. So as you know, Jason, you know, one of the things that we've been doing this season is talking to for-profit companies that are doing something for the environment. And and to be frank, like some of our guests have been have been doing some huge globally impacting things. And and I know you don't know all of them yet, but you will. And so one of the things that we wanted to explore with you was this idea of like, where does the EPA play and where should they play in this realm with small businesses, startups, entrepreneurs, when should they get involved and when shouldn't they be involved? And and how is it the best to, to think of them in that, in that frame? Yeah. Oh man, that's, that's such a fun area of conversation and big shout out to all your guests that have come on. I, I have such tremendous respect for people that are in the private sector that are thinking about these things and I agree with the, with the premise of your show is that uh, climate change and environmentalism can have no greater proponent and no greater uh, impactful advocacy than in the for-profit sector. 
And so to that end, I'm of the belief that much like profitability, sustainability is one on the margins. I think that anybody who's been in a for-profit space is always watching their margins. What are we spending you know, our nickels and dimes on? And similarly, environmentalism and the fight for sustainability happens in incremental small changes. And so you know, if you look at successful implementation of things like solar installs for buildings or facilities, electric fleet adaptations, if, if a company has a lot of vehicles, or just, you know, making changes to your facilities, uh, energy efficiency. These are things that, you know, are environmentally sound and safe and, and happy. And, you know, the EPA likes that. I like that. But in the long run, they actually support profitability margins as well. So where we see that Venn diagram of intersection between sound environmental business and profitable decisions for a company, I think that there's a lot of overlap. And I'm excited that conversations like these are happening because it, it gets me really excited. It gives me hope. You know, right now we're, we're recording. I think all three of us are in the Seattle area and my throat's a little bit raw. I've had a slight <laughs> headache this week because we've had some of the worst wildfires and some right, of the worst air quality. Right over the past six weeks than uh, than Seattle's ever seen. And the past several yeah. summers, actually, it's been bad for like a month or more. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're kind of seeing like the, the hardcore impacts. Um, you know, I, I got my experiences in Alaska witnessing how climate change is, is literally changing the landscape. But I, I think that we're all now bearing witness to a changing earth that if we're not careful, we can quickly get overwhelmed by all the bad news out there. So it's it's a true honor to be on a show that is highlighting the good work that's being done and the the fascinating and you know really out of the box ideas that folks are generating, especially in our, our capitalistic economy. It's it's powerful stuff. Cool. Yeah, really appreciate you to, you you bringing that to light and and your perspective and that you I think you support our thesis of this podcast this year and I appreciate that. You know, I don't want to. We can't negate the fact that sometimes, especially the headlines, you know, will paint the EPA with a certain brush, right? And they, and they definitely, I mean, you said it yourself, there's a watchdog arm of the EPA that is there to, to call things out and it will be positioned. It has been positioned. You read about it being positioned as anti-business, anti, you know, stopping commerce in certain realms. How should we think of that, about that? How do you respond to that? And is that right? Um, or is there another way to think? Uh, is there another side to that story? Yeah. Well, I, I think anytime you get you get anything that's kind of potentially seen as as risking profitability in the private space, and that's going to cause alarm and I do think that there's been a lot of sensationalization of uh, various EPA standards or what the EPA wants to do, not necessarily what it has done or, or what it will do, but what it, it really wants to get after. And that's to be understood. I, I think that a lot of people, perhaps with short-term goals of how do we maximize our money and that kind of thing, can that, that kind of thinking is dangerous, in, in my opinion. But I very much understand why the EPA would be seen as the bad guy in that space. And some people believe that, you know, the EPA will take an inch of legislation and run a mile with it. And, you know, there, there's a lot to be said for the interpretation of scientific standards and data. So it, it really does depend on the political regime in place. The prior administration had a, had a very different view on 
where the EPA could go with the laws that are in place. Our current administration is, uh, you know, marching to the beat of a different drum and so has has really empowered the EPA to take initiative in, in some ways and, and uh, open the doors for broader enforcement. So as I mentioned before, when Nixon founded the EPA, it was under, you know, the executive branch. So no matter what happens, um, everything that the EPA does is in some way directed by whoever is in the office of the presidency. Interesting. There was, uh, I saw this, there's a news segment. They had a more of a conservative lean. It was about Pebble Mine. I couldn't tell if it was a city or if it was like, that was actually the name of the mine. Yeah, but it was that. It's the name of a mine in Alaska. Okay. And it was. And not even a real mine, but like a potential mine. It's not. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was a company that was preparing to create this mine and source natural resources out of it. I wasn't sure if it was gold, silver, or other things. And all then, of the above. All of the above. And then. Mm-hmm. At the last minute before they got approved, they the EPA said we're shutting this down. The city nearby, the village nearby, was there's a lot of people upset about it because it was going to create a lot of jobs, it was going to mm-hmm. drive some tourism, um, mm-hmm. you know, hotels, hospitality, all of that, and uh, even the local population. So they interviewed some of the local population. They were they were pretty jazzed about like I this is so unfair, right? And then they they even interviewed someone from the EPA who had a very judiciously or diplomatically be not not hand wavy emotional be like you know we're trying to we're trying our best and this is just a decision that we went with it was really interesting i i uh i guess this ties nicely into the next question which is jason so from your perspective who is the epa's audience currently if and it's since the epa has gone through a lot of changes in the past 50 years and before it was more of a watchdog kind of a maintenance to get to a baseline of environmental human relationship, who is the EPA's audience now? That is a fascinating question. Yeah, so the mission of the EPA is to safeguard the human health and the environment. That's that's kind of the quick takeaway um, from the from the mission statement: human health and the environment. So I would say that the you know the key demographic, <laughs> if you wanted to, to put it that way. <laughs> But Jacob, I think audience is a great term for it, is anybody that cares about human health and the environment on a micro level, on a macro level, there's a lot that can be done in a granular sense to help human health and the environment in your community. But if you want to start getting involved at a, at a bigger level, I think the EPA is a fun touchstone for that. Not only to keep you informed and aware, the EPA has a great Twitter presence, I think. It's, it's got some you know great social media pages, uh, if you're on Instagram or whatever, to, to just keeping you appraised. I think the first step uh, in the environmental fight is just to spread awareness and to create passion. I think that the more young people especially that are galvanized and excited by this work uh, that we have in America, I think the better our future is going to be. And one of the cool things about the EPA right now is that it is poised to basically double in size over the next several years. We've gotten a lot of funding from uh, the infrastructure bill. You know, recently the uh, the IRA bill was put forth. Uh, the IRA stands for Inflation Reduction Act. And I think the Build Back Better bill also has a fair chunk of spending for the EPA. 
but that was the all... infrastructure was that the infrastructure bill that was passed yeah. earlier in the year yeah 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 which is all to say that the epa right now is poised to do a lot of hiring kick out a lot more grants which is super exciting but it also i think comes with an ask and that is that we need to replenish our ranks under the prior administration um, there's a lot of frustration i think with not really being able to continue work or not being able to represent work in ways that a lot of people thought held true to this term scientific integrity and scientific integrity is kind of a, a loaded term but i i think it's actually not i think it just means you know what does the data show you and how should you act according to you know, logic and rationale that, that informs our scientific principles? And unfortunately, a lot of EPA staff just decided that it was not an environment where it was not a, an organization that they could really see themselves staying with. And a, a lot of us still mourn that time and the, the people and the passion that we lost. So there's a, there's a new generation that is coming into the EPA. And I, I think that we're just now seeing kind of the beginning of how effective a, a new and galvanized workforce can be in this space. So, yeah, that's that's kind of wow, my quick little nice. spiel about it. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you said the audience is anyone who cares about human health and environment. And you meant you talked about these grants. These grants go in an educational way through uh, programs. I imagine it's maybe some scholarships too. Then you mentioned nonprofits. Do these grants go to businesses at all for profit they companies? They do. Yeah. Okay. You know, if, if we take a moment to examine the most recent bit of funding, the Inflation Reduction Act, which I believe gave about $41 billion in appropriated funding over the course of many years. Yeah. And a number of those appropriated funds will go towards for-profit sector things, uh, such as I think there's about $3 billion in grants to reduce air pollution at ports. Uh, ports are a very you know, vital part of our commerce in this country. And, and part of that funding is going towards installing zero emission technology to develop, to, and to develop climate action plans for ports. Interesting. Yeah. Additionally, there's um, about a billion and a half going towards methane emission reductions, which will provide grants and technical assistance to accelerate emissions reductions from petroleum and natural gas systems. And that's a big part of our energy uh, cycle in, in this country. So you mentioned uh, ports, methane, reducing methane. Our spinoff question, are there already the technologies in place to reduce methane emissions uh, and you know help those ports out or is there going to be is there also funding available to research and development or you know universities to develop that from the epa i'm not 100 percent sure so don't quote me on this okay. but i'm pretty sure that there are methane scrubbers that um our air quality teams advocate yeah and but Another fun part of our EPA uh, work that I haven't even mentioned yet, which is super exciting, is that <laughs> there's a lot of R&D that goes on behind the scenes here uh, into climate uh, change and, and just ecological technologies. The EPA holds a number of patents. Um, I don't know how many, but uh, it does hold some patents on, um, on very, very cool, um, not only like environmental sensors, like a number of our uh, air quality indicators i think were developed here in the epa yeah and and so yeah so there's there's a lot of cool stuff that we we r d here in-house i have nothing to do with any of it and i'm woefully <laughs> ill-informed but i will say that's that's something we do 
we gotta nice. hear we gotta hear more about this though you know like i'm glad we have you on the show i'm a marketer by heart i'm always i mean the reason i ask you that question i frame it like that is because i'm always asking who is our audience you know whatever mm-hmm. company i'm working at or mm-hmm. if i'm helping someone out who's your audience and 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 putting myself and everyone else in their shoes so they we really meet the need or like hit the cord right the amplification of what the epa is doing it, it's it's easy to go to the website and go but this is a dictionary oh where do it's i huge. start do i start at <laughs> a do i start at z right or do yeah, i start yeah. at k right yeah so this is this is super cool i guess changing gears a little bit you, you mentioned mm-hmm. you've you mentioned casual conversation you've seen some unexpectedly good things coming yeah. organically in nature through what's happened through climate change. We often talk about the unfortunate, sad things like loss of animal population, mm-hmm. uh, melting of glaciers, and so forth. What it, it sounds like you've seen some good stuff, huh? I've seen some weird stuff, yeah. Weird stuff, yeah. What's <laughs> up with that? Yeah. So I guess building on the, the permafrost segue of earlier, and I'm really glad you brought this up because um, this is one of the, the wilder scenarios that i've i've heard of and and seen in real life is that uh as the permafrost starts to melt up in northern alaska the foliage the botanical uh, trees and shrubs and whatnot that are able to grow are going further and further north their seeds are taking hold in soil that has up until now been frozen and can't support root systems so Along with this being a really cool way to combat erosion, because a root system is a great way, much like ice, to keep that soil all together, we've been seeing, and I've personally seen, moose populations venturing further and further northward. And this is exciting for two reasons. First off, moose is delicious. (laughs) Um, I I hope I don't offend any of your listeners that are vegetarians. Um, I don't eat very much meat, but when a friend has has gotten a delicious moose, I will not say that. Well, yeah. All right. Um, all right. Yeah. So it's helping moose populations, uh, which have been, you know, threatened in the past. But also, it's providing a food source for polar bears who have previously not seen moose. As the moose population goes more northward and towards the sea, the polar bear population, which is running out of sea ice and thus can't eat or hunt seals like they used to. These two populations are intersecting, and we're seeing a food source for polar bears. And in a way, like, I don't think most scientists really realized. Yeah, so these points of intersection are, are few and far between right now. But if these projections continue in the way that, and this is all hearsay, I, I can't quote any sources right now, but I have talked to a number of scientists, uh, biologists and ecologists, who believe that, you know, by the end of our lifetimes, these two organisms might actually be fully interacting and become, you know, the polar bear's primary food source, which, holy cow, right? Like, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. Totally wild. And similarly, yeah, in, in like another vein, like in a, in a sort of like love finds a way vein, there, <laughs> there have been documented cases of polar bears and grizzly bears mating and creating strawberry bears. Wow. Yeah, like wild nature just doing its thing. Doing um, its thing. Yeah. It always finds a way. Like you said, love always finds a way. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've always heard life always finds a way. I like that one even better. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all love, you know, just get exactly. a polar bear and a grizzly bear together. If they're lonely, <laughs> things might happen. Never <laughs> so, so in a cage match between an, a bear, a polar bear and a moose, the polar bear will win. 
Oh yeah, polar bear are massive. They're they're the biggest really? bears on wow. earth. Yeah, they're. So I thought right mooses were huge. Oh yeah, moose are massive too. But man, a a full grown polar bear like that's those are like gargantuan beings. Wow. wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm gonna do another bit. I I saw a polar bear stuffed once that I want to say was like 11 feet. Oh, oh my god, goodness. tall. Yeah, when it stood up, and. I think that that might have been okay. Yeah, they've been known to reach more than ten feet tall. So I think one of the ones I saw was like a record-setting. Right, bear right, right. Just yeah, it was like blowing my mind with how big it was. But yeah, that's about fifteen hundred pounds worth of bear. Oh my goodness! Yeah, massive. Yeah. Oh, and I guess yep, they've documented polar bears that are thirteen feet tall on their hind legs. Wow. So yeah, like that that'll take out a moose for sure. It's just a matter sure. of can they, can they get close enough because moose can definitely run faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah not... luckily they've got camouflage so there you go yeah <laughs> not for long yeah right <laughs> i love it well man you've definitely covered the gamut when it comes to this environmental journey you know one of the things that we like to ask for, you know other entrepreneurs a lot of times but i think in your mind your your experience like from all the things you've seen from the different you know places that you've been, the complete people you've consulted with and worked with, if someone were to go into this space and wanted to do an earth-serving consultancy business focused direction, you know, what is some advice, tips and tricks, pitfalls, whatever that you could potentially pass on to to a group of uh, like unlikely or likely entrepreneurs or people who want to get into this space? Yeah, number one. I think that if they don't have experience in at least something adjacent to this space uh, or, or maybe in this space directly to immediately team with somebody who has the environmental world, especially on a consultancy or a for-profit level is actually pretty small and you're going to run into a lot of the same people. You know, they, they are big personalities usually, and they, they hold court and sort of have an orbit over a lot of influence and a lot of institutional knowledge that um <clears throat> excuse me i'm gonna blame these wildfires that's <laughs> all right yeah we're all feeling it <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah I, I would say ally and team yourself with people that have done work in this space or are adjacent to this space um, because you really don't know what you don't know and it can be a hard niche to to carve out but ideally you know if if you are interested in getting something going there are a lot of resources out there. There's a lot of playbooks that are publicly available. There's a lot of grant funding from the EPA and other sources. And so really just kind of educating yourself. That would probably be my, my second big point is just commit yourself to a lot of autodidactic education. You got to be able to self-teach. Um, and, and that's something I, I encourage kind of anybody coming up in their career is just learn how to research, research, research. There's so much on the internet. It can be overwhelming. So really just learning how to triangulate your searches uh, to find resources that are going to be of the most value to you. That's, that's a pretty core uh, skill set. So I would say between those two, you know, one is sort of externalized, getting your people, getting your team. Uh, and the second very internalized is getting your knowledge and, and getting your research down. And don't be afraid to, to focus. Don't be afraid to really drill down and get granular with your mission. If there's something about climate change or environmentalism that really gets you going, you know, be it composting, be it electric cars, be it solar, whatever is your like singular focus, 
make that your thing and just, you know, put your stamp out there. It's like, this is what we do and develop that specialization and, and just don't let up. I, th I think anybody that has started a new venture or a small business can tell you like, you're going to get knocked down. I come from a family of small business owners and entrepreneurs and they really taught me a lot about resiliency and being able to just pick yourself up and dust off when, when the knocks come because it's going to happen. You're, you're going to get a lot of frustration. The wins that you find at the end of that, it's so worth it. Nice. Yeah. And, and that's how I, that's how I think I, I felt at the beginning of, of my nonprofit and my, uh, my kind of outreach journey. Yeah, it was, it was really hard. There's a lot of rejection out there and there's a lot of frustration, uh, especially when I was applying for grants on behalf of, of tribes and stuff. I got told no way more often than I, I got told yes, but you know, the, the wins were all the sweeter because of it. You just have to maintain your wherewithal and, and try to try to stay focused on, on the why of, of what you're doing. I think that was, that's some great advice. So you mentioned ally with people in the space. How do you find them? Like say I'm working in tech in uh, you know, Seattle or San Francisco. How do I go about finding them? Yeah, I would say email is actually your greatest tool. There's a lot of people that will just respond to random emails. If you can strike the right chord, if you can find a, a LinkedIn profile that fascinates you, somebody that's been doing random stuff in a space that you think is cool, don't be afraid. I think a lot of uh, a lot of people of my generation and younger generations are pretty scared of being awkward or, you know, they get social anxiety. I definitely get that. But yeah, just like get tanked on some caffeine, find your favorite coffee and just go ham <laughs> go on sending. It. Yeah, just send a lot of messages. There's nothing to be Love lost it. from trying, you know? Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's great advice. That's great advice. And I guess a little bit of practice and wordsmithing, <laughs> being able to kind of like that helps. get making something land, right? Could be really helpful too. And uh, tri trial and error too. Yeah, and never underestimate flattery. If you've researched somebody and you bring up things about them that you've read online that you really like or that like get you excited, say it. I don't think that there's anything wrong with, you know, pumping somebody up or letting them know, be it a loved one, be it a colleague or be it a potential, you know, networking opportunity. Let them know what you like about them. I think Love that it. there's so much to be, be said real. for like yeah. just amping the positivity. Yeah. Don't hold back. I actually think there there is a lot of truth to the to the well Framed, researched email, and I've I, I've mm. I've listened to a lot of interviews with people from a lot of different industries. Like there was a guy who wanted to work with a Michelin star chef, and mm. he just he was like, I found him by sending an email because I was so passionate about the the cooking that he was doing, and I was like, man, I would love to read that email, right? Yeah. Uh, it's because he just used his his fervor of of passion to communicate it through the email, and it and it landed. And the guy said, you should come over to this small town in France, you know, talk to me, right? And he's like, okay, got to change his life, right? Uh, little things wow. like that can really, can really have an impact. Uh, an email, starting oh, with an that. email. Yeah. Jason, we're going to wrap up here. What, uh, we're going to do something called rapid mayhem questions. So, uh, cool. we're going to, we're going to enter the chamber <laughs> of, uh, trying to go fast, but it's okay if we okay. don't. All right. So first off, true or false from 1970 to 2015, total U.S. emissions of six common pollutants at that time dropped by 35% on average, while GDP grew by 246%. True or false? Oh, I'm going to go ahead and say false just because I think emissions probably dropped or probably increased during that time <laughs> as opposed to decreased, but I'm a pessimist in that regard. 
they didn't call it specifically the the common pollutants, but it, it actually was false. Uh, it was even bigger. It was seventy percent drop oh, on average, really, of these six common pollutants. Uh, yeah, I'll send you a link to the source. So we'll share with the cool. audience too. Okay, but that was pretty cool in that forty-five year period. Maybe it was some of these some of these things you mentioned in in terms of pesticides, um, you know, pollutants into the water that are pretty common. Um, lead, for example, just mm. kind of some of the ones out the top of my head. All right, next one: true or false? That work that reduced uh, six common pollutants by 70% led to 86,000 emergency room visits that didn't happen and 13 million lost job days from work that did happen because. Oh, wow. I'll go ahead and say true because that sounds like, you know, it, there, there would be a logical yeah. improvement in human health from, from environmental uh, improvement like that. Sure. You're right. You are right. You're oh, right. wow. Okay. I love Shot it. Oh, look at that. All right. True, true and false is always you're so right. nice. You're, you're, I know, you're right yeah. 50% of the time. <laughs> hey, but you're, so far, you're 100%. You're doing it. I like that. <laughs> For all the wrong reasons. I'm glad you mentioned Cancer Alley earlier because it's, it's, it's this next question. So oh, true wow. or false, Cancer Alley is an 85-mile stretch of land along the Mississippi River with 150 petrochemical plants. This is the part, true or false. It accounts for 25% of the nation's petrochemical production. Wow. That's a that's a big chunk. Um, Quarter, yeah. Yeah. See, I, I know about Cancer Alley only due to, like, the, as, as I mentioned before, like, the disproportionate amount of, of health stuff going on there. But 25%, that sounds very large. I'm going to go ahead and say false. Okay. It is true. No way! Oh, it is man. true. As of, as of 20... 85 Six, miles stretch of land. Wow. That's yeah, crazy. That's huge. No wonder it's such a pot problem. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That well, is I mean, when you think about land. all the oil refineries there, like that's, that's where I'm sure yeah. we get a lot of our plastics, a lot of our gasoline. Oh, yeah. Brutal. Yeah. Wow. Dang. Yeah. But it makes that now I get why it's called Cancer Alley, man. Jeez, that's, I would have thought, yeah, I would have thought that was false too. All right. Last one true or false? Bringing it full circle, or I, should, I could say full earth. Global Earth temperature, as measured as an annual average anomaly, was most recently measured at 0.5 degrees of warming, like as of 2022 Celsius. True or false? Oh, I think that's false. What do you think it is? I recently heard a climate change scientist, I think, put it at closer to like two point something. Am I way off? I, that it's a little high. This the the source that I use was actually uh, I think it was it was NASA. Yep, it was uh, the the climate arm of NASA. They claim it's at at just under one degree Celsius of warming as of twenty twenty two. But it's been going up since nineteen seventy. Okay, I I might yeah. have heard a projection. But still, it's still false. He still got it yeah, right. Yeah, right. Still For all the right. Hey, that's true. Right. Still got it right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. No, I might have heard a projection. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. Projection, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to sometimes separate the data that you hear from, like, right. what people think the data will be yeah. in the future. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. I actually looked this up two weeks ago, and I found something, and it said 1.6 degrees at that moment. And I was like, oh, it's 1.6. Okay. And I started sharing that fact with people, and then now I'm like... God, I just lied to people for the past <laughs> two or three weeks about how much warmer the earth got. I just feel like it's that thing that people throw around. They're like, oh, we got to keep it from getting to two degrees. It's like, okay, what's the baseline? What's that reference? Yeah, yeah, and what's yeah, your yeah. source? Let's like really get down to that first, right? Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Well, uh, Rapid Mayhem questions have now been closed. The chamber uh, has been has been lost. <laughs> Thanks, guys. You did good. You did good. It's real fun, Jason. All right. Last. Lastly, climate change. It's 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 pretty big, right? People often feel helpless in helping, and that's often why they don't do anything. What's the equivalent of what a listener can do? What do you think? What what can anyone do? Yeah, that's a great question because it's overwhelming. And when you take a look at the media and um, kind of all the bad news that is out there, or just the smoke in our skies right now, it can it can feel like a lot. I would say to the average listener, to the average individual, just start small. It doesn't have to be a huge shift. It can be incremental. You know, the, the EPA is one of the first workspaces to have composting in most of their buildings. I think composting is a great first step, as, as is recycling. Like we've got our, our trash bins, which we try not to use as much as possible. Then we've got our recycling bins, which we use a little bit more. And then lastly, our composting bins, which ideally we're composting most of our waste. So I'd say first, think about your waste. That's, that's probably a good place to start. But at the end of the day, uh, just stay mindful of your thoughts. I, I think I encourage a lot of the athletes that I coach on the water to engage in a meditation practice and just be aware of what you're thinking and why you're thinking it. And if you do find yourself overwhelmed, sit down, pause, and try to find a good news story. Try to find something in your life that heartens you or somebody in your life that lifts you up. Jason. Amazing journey. Um, really thank you on giving us such a perspective on the EPA and the role that it's playing today and how we might, you know, as, as business folks here in our business mind, leverage it and use it and work with it, um, which I think that that is super powerful. Where can we find you today? How do we find the things that you're interested in online? Thank you, Ty. Yeah, and thank you, Jacob. This has been a true honor. I, I love these sorts of exchanges. Well, I've, I've got a really old website. If you're interested about my Alaska uh, journeys, it's it's not updated, and I, I needed to probably update that, but it's called alaskavillagetovillage.com. And just a, a random little snapshot into some of my journeys. And uh, if you want to find me on social media, I am uh, on Instagram at Seattle Rowing Coach, all one word. Uh, no underscores and uh, you can check out some cool rowing photography and sometimes I'll talk a little bit about nature and stuff and there's a lot of wildlife around Lake Union Lake Washington that I like to photograph too no dashes just Seattle rowing coach yep and no dashes either in the blog just Alaska village to village.com thank you yeah and thank you guys I really appreciate the work that you're doing I think it is so cool that this podcast is about to pop and I can't wait to listen thanks for nerding out with us man yeah totally Anytime. You got me nerd now in the EPA. Sweet. And I'm, I'm going to try to hook you guys up with somebody that might know a little bit more about like the nitty gritty of what we do. I, I know some people that I think would be really jazzed to speak with you. So maybe like a, another EPA segment would have somebody that's a little be bit sweet. better informed. Yeah. Wow. That'd be great. We really appreciate that. But this one's been awesome. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. We learned a lot. We learned a lot. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, fellas. Have a good one. Thanks, Jason. See you later, man. Bye. Boom. How is that? Well, there's more. So keep listening. We speak with climate tech leaders and change makers in EV, reforestation, solar energy, flood mapping, and a whole lot more. Also, you can give feedback or check out show notes at our website, climatemayhem.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Oh, don't forget, if you found this valuable or interesting at all, please hit subscribe. That way we know you're loving it. So just go to Spotify or whatever podcast app you're on. Hit that subscribe button at the top. Production was done by Daniel Steenkamp with cover art by Harrison Glenn.
This is Jacob Kabika with my legendary colleague, Ty Wolf motherfucking Jones. Peace out, Climate Mayhem. Out. Out.